our Bible open to Habakkuk chapter 3, please. Habakkuk chapter 3, and we'll be using some other passages too. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Why would Habakkuk pray such a prayer in the long ago? He preached during the reign of Josiah and Jehoiakim near the end of the land of Judah and Israel. Northern Israel had sinned grievously. You read the book of Amos, you find God sending Amos to warn as a wave as it were a red flag in the face of Northern Israel, prepare to meet thy God. They ignored the warning and in 722 BC, the Assyrians came in, took Northern Israel into captivity those are the 10 northern tribes. And unless they're the ones that are some, some of them coming back to Jerusalem at this time, we never heard of them again. They got assimilated into the various peoples of the nations where they were taken captive. Some believe that some of those groups are coming now from China, from Ethiopia, from Africa, and from other places in the world back to Jerusalem. The Jews, since 1948, have had a homeland. You would think that southern Judah would have learned from the tragic mistakes of northern Israel, but they didn't. They went on in their sin. It got so disgusting that God had to say to Habakkuk, I'm gonna do something you would never dream of. I'm gonna bring a nation that has no understanding of God at all, and they're going to take over your land. And Habakkuk began to argue with God. How can you, a God of justice, a God of mercy, a God of understanding, a God of rule and law, how can you allow an enemy nation that didn't even believe in God come and take us over. And God said, Habakkuk, you just stand on your tower and watch. You won't understand, but you just watch. And so Habakkuk did that. Then the third chapter, he said, Lord, I've heard your speech and I was afraid. And they began to pray, Lord, will you not revive your work in the midst of years? In wrath, remember mercy. Now keep in mind, this was all before Babylon came in and took over the nation. Things were going great in Judah. They had no idea this would happen. Now some did, and some of the preachers knew about it because God had revealed it to them, but most people didn't know it. That's the reason Habakkuk was sort of arguing with God, Lord, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't allow that to happen. 
Sometimes the same thing is true in America today. We have forgotten who we are. We as a people of God have gotten so accustomed to things as they are that we have failed to understand that God has the last word. He will not tolerate sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. The wages of sin is death, separation from God forever. If there's to be revival, and Habakkuk prayed for revival. Lord, I heard your speech, I was afraid. We not revive your people in the midst of the years in wrath. I know you're angry with us because of our sin, but in wrath, remember mercy. Revival is a majestic word. It at once speaks of Noah preaching of judgment. Enoch walking with God. Abraham offering Isaac. Jacob going back to Bethel. Joseph forgiving his brethren. Moses pleading for Israel. Elijah at Mount Carmel. Jonah at Nineveh. Isaiah calling God's people together. Jeremiah weeping over Jerusalem. Josiah's reform. Malachi's call for return. Hosea's indictment. What is revival and what do we expect when revival comes? I want you to listen to this. Revival is a word that means refreshing. Before there can be refreshing, there has to be repentance. There has to be acknowledgement of sin. William Sprague used to say, wherever you see religion rising up in a state of comparative depression to a tone of increased vigor and strength, that's revival. Charles Finney said, revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Just in the case of a converted sinner, the first step in a deep spiritual repentance and a breaking down of the dust before God. G.J. Morgan said revival is reviving humanity, strictly speaking to the sense of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Arthur Wallace said in the day of his power, revival is divine intervention in the normal course of things. J. Edwin Orr, in his second evangelical awakening, said the best, best definition of revival is the phrase refreshment from the presence of God. Stephen Alford, who just recently went home to be with the Lord, revival is that strange work of God in which he visits his own people, reanimating and releasing them into the fullness of his blessed spirit. The word revival appears 16 times in the Old Testament. Only two times in the New Testament. And those two times, it's a re, you might say it'd be better translated another word, because revival means a reliving, a re 
animating of God in people's lives. The reason it's not mentioned more in the New Testament is because God expected his church to be a literal blaze of glory all the time. 365 days a year, 52 weeks a year, week after week after week, the church going out, bringing them in, praising, loving the Lord, and seeing new people come to Jesus. That's his plan. The book of Revelation speaks of seven churches. Church at Ephesus had lost its first love. Church at Smyrna under severe persecution. Church of Pergamos, false doctrine. Church of Thyatira, false living. Church of Sardis had a name that was alive, but it was dead. Then you come to the Philadelphia church, which is symbolized by the modern missionary movement. When things began to happen again, and William Carey went to India, and Norm Judson went to Burma, Lottie Moon went to China. Many, many people went as missionaries and the modern missionary movement began. It was a church wide open, the green light. It lasted till about 1950. And now, men who study the scriptures and times that we live in recognize we're living in the Laodicean age. The last church mentioned in Revelation, the Laodicean church was lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. You make me sick. Somehow we have forgotten that the real blaze in the life of a church is its outreach not paying the bills, not keeping the lights on, not keeping the heat up, not being sure we can pay off mortgages, but going out after the unsaved, reaching them whatever the cost. And when we get so tied down to worry and concern and faithlessness that we forget all that and we give ourselves to nothing but cleaning up the place. Main room for next Sunday. Then God has to look down and say, you need revival. You need revival. And revival will only come when, we people, when people realize it. When recognize there's a need. It doesn't come just automatically. It comes when God's people called by his name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from the wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. The method of revival is Jesus himself. When Jesus came in Matthew 3, there was an understanding that something was about to happen in the Palestinian area. There was a spirit of expectancy. In one sense, today, there's a spirit of expectancy here. Something's going to happen. What it is, we're not sure. The prophet's heart was greatly exercised by God. Sure, the Lord will do nothing except he revealed his secrets to his prophets. Sin was rampant. And so today we stand at a crossroads. God has greatly stirred some of us to the need of revival. 
I'd say that many people in this auditorium recognize the need for a spiritual awakening, not just in America, but in Bowling Green and at Glendale, in our Sunday school classes, in our own heart. Criticism, judgmentalism, sin, lethargy, too much levity, pride, worldly-mindedness, hypocritical lifestyle, a form, no power, failure to confess sin, neglect of known duty. I think of Isaiah, or rather, Elijah at Mount Carmel. The nation had gone down, almost gone down to, to worship of Baal. And Elijah was so concerned, God gave him the authority to announce there'd be no rain in the land for three years. He had to hide from the king. The king wanted to kill him because of that. God took care of Elijah. Then God said, Elijah, you show yourself to the king. I'm gonna send rain and I want you to call the prophets of Baal to meet you at Mount Carmel. And so Elijah had the courage to say to the king, I want the prophets of Baal to meet me at Mount Carmel. We're gonna have a test. If God is God, he'll show himself. If Baal is God, he'll show himself. So they all met together at Mount Carmel, 4,000 prophets of Baal. Elijah had gotten a bit discouraged. He said one day, Lord, I'm the only one left. And God said, no, you're not, there's 7,000 others. Sometimes we think we're the only one that cares. And God says, no, you're not the only one. There are a lot of others that care. Anyway, Elijah called the contest. They all came to Mount Carmel and he made an altar. And he said to the prophets of Baal, you make an altar and uh, do whatever you want to the altar and then ask your gods to send fire. Well, they made the altar. They prayed all day for their gods to send fire and Baal didn't answer. They got so excited they began to cut themselves. And Elijah stood over in the corner and made fun of him. He said, your God's asleep. What's wrong with your God? Is he taking a nap? Why didn't he answer with fire? And they got agitated. Finally, finally, Elijah said, okay, that's enough. You take barrels of water and pour it on the altar. They put barrels of water on the altar so there'd be no evidence of any underhanded thing. Then Elijah got with God. In 63 words, he said, Lord, show today there's a God in Israel. All of a sudden, fire went down and all the altar was consumed, the water was consumed, and the people got up and said, the Lord God is God. The Lord God is God. There was a contest. Now, I don't know what kind of contest God wants us to have today, but maybe it's a contest of faith. Without faith, 
nothing is accomplished. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it, the elders received a good report. By faith, Adam. By faith, Abel. By faith, Samuel. By faith, Moses. By faith, Sarah. On and on and on. In that wonderful 11th chapter of Hebrews, the roll call of the faithful. By faith, they went forward. Lord, send a revival of faith. One of our greatest sins today is so mixing things of the world and our ideas and our concepts that we leave God out. Had it not been for faith, this church would never be here. Had it not been for faith, Sam Todd would have taken a census in this area, found Joe Tao and Lee Kennedy and Lucy Kennedy, brought them to the revival meeting. Joe became our first Sunday school superintendent. Lee Kennedy became our first convert. He was baptized for 23 years and became our Sunday school superintendent. He was a deacon for life. God used him in an unusual way. It was all of faith. By faith, we've taken census from time to time. We found somebody that needed Jesus. We reached them for Christ. The same thing can be repeated today. If my people, and I'm taking advantage of the scripture, if my people called by my name will go and knock on doors, if my people who are called by my name will pray, if my people who are called by my name will fast, if my people who are called by my name will go, I'll answer. We serve the same God that Elijah served. He's no different. He's just waiting in the shadows for someone to call. How does God send revival? When God's people called by his name will pray. Well, what is the message of revival? I've mentioned many times, and you know it by heart, 2 Chronicles 7:14. God said to Solomon one day, it was a celebration of the great temple. 4,000 people sang in the choir. 4,000 musicians were playing the trumpets and all the instruments. Great excitement. And God said, wait a minute, Solomon. There's going to come a day when everybody's not going to be as excited about this as they are today. And it's as if Solomon said, well, what will we do then? And God said, here's the answer. If my people called by my name will humble themselves. What does it mean to humble ourselves? Have you ever gotten down on your knees before God? Usually on Wednesday night, we ask our people to kneel and pray. Some do and some don't. 
Some say, well, I'm too feeble. Try it. God will help you up. Your next door neighbor will help you up. Humble yourself. Pray from your heart. Earnestly ask God to do something that you can't do. Now, God won't do for us what we can do. He usually doesn't go knock on doors. He says, you do it. Once in a while, you might find God striking somebody down with lightning or thunder or some terrible experience, and all of a sudden they come to realize how much they need God, but usually it comes through another human being. You read the New Testament, just about everybody that got saved in the New Testament was won to Christ by somebody else. So, who does God want me to win? You to win? Witness to? Let's do it. If my people call by my name, will humble themselves, pray, see my face. The message of revival is the message of prayer, the message of humility, the message of willingness to go. What happens when revival comes? Schedules get mixed up. Already I'm asking you next week to set aside Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, morning and night to come to meetings. Many work in the morning, you can't come. Many work at night, you can't come. But if you work at night, you can come in the morning. If you work in the morning, you can come at night. As we come together and we get a new excitement for the Lord and we go out and bring somebody else in, it's a thrill to see that person come to Christ. The other Thursday night, Brother Mickey went out to a home and won a precious girl from China to Jesus. She came last Sunday and made a profession. She's gonna be baptized the last of the month the day before her birthday. That's how it's done. You just go, try to bring them in. Do you win everybody you go to? No, no. The insurance people tell us it takes 25 visits to make one sale. Our problem is we go make five visits and get discouraged and quit. Let's keep on going. If my people will go, God will bless, God will strengthen. We have two built-in visitations today at Glendale. One is Thursday and one is Saturday. Many people can't visit those two days, they visit some other time. That's fine, but let's do it. Let's go bring them in. Let's go find somebody that needs Jesus and bring them in from the fields of sin. This is not gonna happen until we get hungry. I think I shared with our Sunday school class this morning or somebody recently. One of the, one of the big uh, burdens I have about our church, and I've been here a good while, is that we lose our hunger for preaching. We've had some of God's great men here. Dr. R.G. Lee, Dr. Vance Havner, J. Harold Smith, W.A. Criswell, Walter K. Ayers. We've had a galaxy of men of God that have been used 
across America, across our world, to bring people to Jesus. Are we tired of it? Are we just saying, well, I've heard that. I've heard that before. Then I'm preaching tomorrow night too, another night, some other time. I don't have to go now. Let's do it. Let's go to church. Let's hear the word of God. Let's meet together and sing. This choir blessed me this morning as they sang. Wasn't that beautiful? Amen, choir. Thank you very much. Be here every Wednesday, every night for the revival meeting. Next week, it's not just going to be leading us. It'll be a good meeting. Ani Madding's going to preach. He's a strong preacher. He's in demand all across America. His roots are here. At one time, he was on our staff, starting to preach here. Let's bring them in from the fields of sin and believe God to do something unusual. Now, it begins with our heart hunger. When you and I get hunger, hungry for revival, we get hungry for the preaching of the word, we get hungry for the word of God, we get hungry to see somebody saved, God's gonna bless. You know, God looks down from heaven. Now listen carefully, you won't like what I'm gonna say. Somebody comes forward to get saved, I come by and speak to them, and I go to the back door and shake hands. Do you know there are some people just dart out the door? They never bother to come down here. They're not rejoicing as though I got saved today. They just run off. You know what God will do? He'll give us a famine. A famine for the word. A famine for seeing people saved. When we really get excited about people getting, coming to Christ, something begins to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, let's ask God to restore that hunger, that desire, that thirst in our heart to see people come to Christ. And then go bring them in and pay the price in prayer and in going and coming. God grant that. Friend, if you're here today and you've never been saved, you know why we're having the meetings? To make it clear to you that you need Jesus. And when you hear about Jesus, he's the one who died on a cross for our sins. Not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus came and died for you and me. Three days later, he was raised from the grave. He's a living savior. That was God incarnate in human flesh because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. God wants to live in your life and give you a home eternally, but also to come and make earth more like heaven day by day. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I pray that someone today will come to Christ and that many of us would say, Lord, use me to bring somebody else. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. 465, without him, I could do nothing. With Christ, everything is possible. Nothing is impossible when you put your faith in Jesus. Friend,
Let me ask you something. Are you sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved? Do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If you're not sure, come to Christ today. Don't let Jesus knock at your door in vain. I've been many of your houses. Most of you open the door and let me in. Jesus knocks today. Are you going to say no? Stay out. I'm going to learn more about it. I don't, know, I don't understand yet. Come to him and he'll give you understanding. Just step out. While we begin to sing, will you come to Christ this morning? Without him, I could do nothing. Let's sing.